uh, in looking at Psalms 20 today, uh, we're going to ask the question, uh, how do we relate uh, to those in, in leadership? Uh, looking at this, uh, my purpose is not self-serving, it's just because I actually think this is kind of neat, okay? Um, in looking at this, uh, we're going to see today there's two imperatives. Uh, how many imperatives? Two, two okay. Uh, so that we have a right relationship with those around us and also with God during our times of trials, okay? Uh, looking at this today, I see there's two points. Uh, support our leaders. Um, I modified this. There was one commentary that says, uh, submit to your leaders. But I actually think Munan's view is not just su- submit, but actually to support. And we'll talk about this. It's, it's not a blind support, okay? Um, su- support your leaders, verse 1 to 5, and then trust in God, verses 6 to 9. Okay? So in looking at this, ju- just as an introduction... This psalm, as you see in the beginning, so the Hebrew verse one, I think I mentioned to you guys before, is different. So if you ever read a Hebrew Bible, if you, for instance, go to Blue Letter, uh, and then you look up like Hebrew uh, verses, it will always be off by one for most of the psalms. Because our English verse one is actually Hebrew verse two, okay? So don't just look like, oh, God's word has been changed. No, no, it's just the verse numbering is there, okay? So the, above our English verse one, do you guys see the subscript? It says, for the, what? Choir director, okay? And then a psalm of David, okay? Uh, So in light of this uh, part, uh, we see here um, is the introduction here indicate that this is written by who? By David, okay? Also, if you look at verses 9, in verses 9, you also see, uh, you also see, um, also as well, verses 9, here we see uh, a summary, okay? And this, now, I would say this is a royal psalm, but you might say, okay, where's the mention of king? There's only one verse that mentioned king in verses 9, okay? Verses 9. And I would actually say in the context, it's talking about a royal psalm and also talking about a king in the context of a military setting, okay? In, in, in a military setting, okay? Uh, so you see in verses uh, 20 to 21, it's actually related. One's a prayer of the king for victory in battles, okay? Verses 21 is a prayer of thanksgiving for the victory, okay? It's a prayer of thanksgiving for the victory. In looking at this here, okay, uh, what we see is that this is relevant for us because there's something that's still common with them and now is while we don't have kings, while we don't have uh, uh, necessarily we pray for kings over the war like in Israel, we do see there is a sense of the context of trials and difficulties, okay? By the way, even though America doesn't have any kings, we are what? Citizens, not what? Subjects, right? America is still, I think we're hardwired to think about kings. Because why? Even though America no longer has any kings, whenever any royal member of the family marries, what do we do? What do we do? What do you see on Target with the People magazine over there or whatever, Us Weekly or whatever stuff? It's about the royal what? Family, okay? Smack in the middle of everything is whatever the king married or queen married or, you know, the prince married some Middleton or something like that, okay? So in light of all this, we see uh, there is a sense, I think, we're hardwired to think about uh, royalty. Uh, so here we see, uh, well, how I see this divided is when we look at this, um, this is a time, uh, notice verses 1 and verses 9, uh, there is a parallel. Uh, there is a request, may the, fill in the blank, right? Um, if you look at verses 1, it says, may the Lord answer. And in verse 9, it says, may the what? King answer, okay? And both days are mentioned. There's a mention in the day, in verses 1, in the day of trouble. 
And verses 9, in the day we call, okay? In the day we call. Okay, so in light of that, uh, verses 1 to 5 is a prayer of the... Uh, and as we look at this, I think we'll divide this even furthermore uh, of what it is that's going on, okay? Uh, so this frames this whole psalm. This frames this whole psalm, okay? So point number, as we go over this, I also want to point out that I actually think there's two groups of people talking, okay? There's two groups of people that are talking, okay? Uh, two groups of people. Uh, verses 1 to 5 is a prayer of the people, okay? Uh, and then verse, and I think we'll make that clear, clarify even more later on. Verses 6 to 8, I think, is actually the words of the king, or up to verse 9. But verse 9, I see, is more of a summary of the whole entire psalm, okay? So in light of this, our point number 1 is support our leaders. Well, this is in verses 1 through 5. Uh, verses 1 to 5, okay? The specific leader here is kings, but I think this has application for all of us, okay? Uh, for those, uh, and again, I'm not trying to be self-serving, but in church leadership, right? In the church, in the institution, the family, right? Um, in terms of husband and wives, in terms of also as well, even at work, okay? Uh, even at work, whatever else. In godly leadership, and even with our government institution, yes, Okay? Uh, even with that, we must support our our leaders. Okay, but as we go over this, my I think when you look at this verse very carefully, this is not talking about blind support. This is not talking about blind allegiance. That look away from sin. Okay, uh, I try to practice a policy. If there's any concern you guys have uh, in terms of things that you guys think I don't do rightly, I hope you guys could be able to talk to me. Okay, and we could talk about it out. Okay, uh, I, I do want to do this. Hopefully, by the grace of God. But as we look at this, verses 1 to 5, you see there's certain ways we relate to our leaders here. The first one is, pray for your leaders in their trouble. Look at verses 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Okay. I know most of you guys use the NASB, New American Standard Bible. And I think it's unfortunate in English, it's very hard to distinguish between singular, plural, uh, a singular, you, and what? Plural, you, right? True or not? When I say, hey, you, everyone will turn their head and say, who, us, or who, me, right? Uh, in other language, is actually more defined, okay? In, actually, in a lot of language, okay? Nepali, uh, what else? Uh, Chinese too, right? Men, right? The men, right? Makes it plural. Uh, Arabic, Hebrew, Greek, okay? Um, but in English, except for one, so one, one dialect, was who? The Southern, right? New, uh, NASB, New American Southern Bible, right? Now you all, the kind of thing, okay? But when you look at verses 1, when it says, May the Lord answer you, this is actually singular, okay? This is actually singular here. Uh, this is a singular uh, you because as we look here, uh, this is, I think, the people's, is, is not God speaking because it says, May the Lord answer you. And then the you here, I think, is actually referring to the king because it's singular, okay? It's singular because later on, as we see, there's a context of war. And it's speaking to the leader of the country, the king. Okay? So this is the people speaking and saying, hey, to the king, saying, hey, this is, we are going to pray for you. So one of the ways you support your leaders is you pray for their leaders in their trouble. As it says here, in the day of trouble. Okay? Why do we pray? It's because the king and the people are in trouble. Okay? A second line expresses the people's desire to have the... To, for God to help the king as well. So the second line is synonymous. Hebrew poetry is not so much rhyming every line, every time, okay? 
but or half rhyming. But rather, what it is is actually more like what's the relationship between the first line and the second? Is it synonymous? Is it adding more details? Is it antithetical? Is it giving opposite? Is it comparing contrast? And here, the second line in verses one is actually giving more details. After saying, "The Lord answered in the day of trouble," it says, "May the name." Uh, uh, the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Okay, um, the name uh, where it says the phrase, the name of the God of Jacob, it appears only once in the Old Testament. Okay, this is the first time, but the phrase God of Jacob appears eighteen times. Okay, in the Old Testament, eighteen times. Okay, and twelve of them are in the Psalms. It's used in other contexts because of the sake of time, uh, we won't be looking at. But it's used in other Psalms, for instance, Psalms forty-six, seven. And verse 11 of Psalm 46, also in the military context. And I think rightly so, because Jacob is what? Jacob's other name is also Israel. And they are the nation of Israel. Okay? It's saying, hey, God is the God of Israel, both the patriarch and the people. And would God be defending his people, his nation, his special people at that time period? Yes. Okay? And this is one of the reasons why I do think it is king. Because in verses 1, I think our, uh, all our version says high. Does any of version say palace or fortress? Okay. Uh, it says, like, may, uh, basically, may the name of God set you securely on high. Uh, I would translate that as fortress, okay, as a participle. And basically, it's the idea that may you have a palace that's in a high ground, right? So that if you attack militarily, what, what, what is easier attack, low ground or high ground? It's easier to attack, yeah, low ground, right? Because going high ground, what do you have to do? You have to run, ah, right? I remember for, uh, was it Ben Chung's uh, bachelor party? We were playing paintball. And we were all trying to get up the hill. And I was like, oh, man. Like in Marines, it always, you know, they always say three to one ratio before you attack a hill, okay? Three, uh, three guys to every one, one of those guys, okay? So, uh, and as, we, you know, of course, we went. We got eliminated. Then we tried again and again. I was like, oh, man, this is like... This, this, doesn't, this doesn't work, okay? But then we were doing too much of a frontal assault, like the Marine Corps way, okay? But here we're bringing this up uh, it, it, with this, okay? Uh, is to say that he's saying, hey, we want you to be in a palace that is secure. A secure on high, okay? Know the, uh, so look at verses 2. Know the source for help of your leaders must be from God, okay? So we don't just pray for them, but we also should pray that may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. Okay, the location identified with the help would be come as a sanctuary. Okay, and it's from Zion. These present location, uh, in, when it talks about sanctuary and Zion, uh, where it comes from, is it literally from the sanctuary that is the temple or the tabernacle? Is it literally from Zion? And sometimes those two in David's life were in two different places, right? Uh, at that time, I think it was in Shechem. Uh, if I remember correctly, the sanctuary or the tabernacle. I think there's actually a stand-in for, standing is a term to symbolize God. I think maybe the good example is this. When you hear on the evening news, when it, you hear a news report says, the White House says today, how many of us would say stop? So, oh, I did not know the house in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue actually has a mouth and could talk. How many of you guys think that way? No, but rather it's used literally for stand-in for the president and his administration okay so same thing when it says here uh, when it says here in verses 2 uh, may you he send you help in the sanctuary and support you from zion he's basically saying the people is recognizing that the help for the leaders come from who comes from god okay comes from god well let's go to point number three okay 
point number three. Um, so point number three, as we go in verses three, is pray for the leader's offering to God to be acceptable. Okay? Pray for the leader's offering to God to be acceptable. This is found in verses three. As we're looking at verses three, uh, you see here that the people continue to speak to the king. Uh, their uh, best wishes, right? And their best wishes, all of this, if you notice, is focusing on God. And in looking at this, they're saying that they want the king's offering or ordering of offering be acceptable to who? To God, okay? Um, there's various kings that have ordered or themselves directly involved with sacrifice, giving sacrifices to God. You know who some of those are? You guys know who some of those are? One is Saul. Okay, Saul is one of them. Is the first one because he's the first king. David also as well. If you look at Second Samuel six, okay, we don't have to turn over there. I'm just going to mention some of the uh, scriptural reference. Solomon also as well in First Kings three. Uh, remember the temple was built and then he ordered sacrifices towards God. Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Now these various kings, whether they've ordered someone or they themselves have have done uh, uh, done this, you know, given this. Uh, I think no matter what happened, you see, the, uh, there's always two re- kinds of results. What's the two possible results? Acceptable and what? Unacceptable, oh God. Namely, one of the kings mentioned that sacrifices was rejected by God. Saul. Saul. Saul, okay. Why? You guys remember why? He took it upon himself. Yeah. He did it himself, okay. Uh, I think in the Old Testament, there is uh, a distinction between priests and what? Kings. Okay, priests and kings. And here we see, while both serves God, also the other thing was Saul's life. Was it pleasing to God? No, okay. So it was not morally or spiritually right. Okay. Now, we're, they're not perfect, but it's the desire of whether they trust in God and practically are faithful and obedient to Him. So what I see in verses 3 is, this is actually a verse that, if anyone want to use this verse to say blind allegiance, uh, to the leader, a blind allegiance to the pastor, I would say that's not fully biblical because in verses 3 it makes it very clear that they're praying here, saying to the king, hey, we hope you are what? You are morally right with God that whatever sacrifices you ordered the people to offer or the kings, uh, uh, or the priests to offer, it will be acceptable to who? To God. In other words, don't miss in verses 3 the more dimension that we pray also as well, Okay. So is it, it's not enough just to say, oh, I'll pray for the pastor when they're going through a hard time. Uh, but also as well, we must pray what else? Uh, and, and know the sources from God. But we also should pray for their moral what? Life, okay? Uh, I think the greatest prayers I love to hear is not just, oh, I pray for your ministry, but also praying. Like sometimes I hear Victor praise this when we're in prayer meeting. Is what? Is also for Jimmy to be upstanding. To be what? To not fall. To be able to be what? Morally right with God and all that He does. Because that's all that, that's the biggest thing we have. It's a life of integrity. And how much more so do we pray for those of the leaders? Okay? Uh, I would even go so far, even though the verse doesn't say this, there's a place for even when their pastor is wrong, uh, I think it is biblical to even say, hey, Jimmy, um, is this biblical? Is this right? Okay? But also realize, too, sometimes we could also have a blind spot, and we need each other, okay? Yeah. I actually think uh, when, and I think you guys do practice this, and, but when we do, I think sometimes we reach a synthesis. 
right? Where sometimes that person will say this, I'll say, no, no, I don't think so. We talk more, then I kind of see more. We're saying, then they kind of see more, and there's, oh, okay, there's other dimension, okay? So realize even when you do confront, um, at least for myself, I feel with having corrected people all these years, is there's always in the middle of going correction, there's also a little bit more that you find out, oh, okay, I can kind of see why they're stuck in this situation. Doesn't sometimes mean it's right, but then there's also a little bit like, okay, uh, now in light of this, um, this is the grace of God that motivates us to change, okay? Okay, well, I'm, I'm sympathetic with your situation, but at the same time, we have to go by God's word, and therefore, uh, we have to see his motivation. Your hurt, but God's grace in your hurt is that he's been hurt more than you and I ever been, and he's done that for us, okay? Uh, so pray for the leaders offering to be acceptable to God. Really, we're praying for their moral, what? Dimension of their life, their moral character, their spiritual well-being. So again, let me emphasize again, verse 3. This is not a call for blind obedience and allegiance from this verse, from this passage. Because verse 3 is a rock that just shatters that, if you hold that view. Let's go to verse 4. Pray for the leader's desire matches that of God's desire. Look at verse 4. He says, May he grant you your heart's desire. The Bible teaches elsewhere our heart can stray and sin. But why would this passage say, Hey, may he grant you your heart's desire? After all, would you want to give someone everything their hearts desire? No. I think this is the, uh, a polite way of the, ki- of the people addressing the king. Polite way of saying, hey, may God give you everything your heart desire. By the way, God only gives the desire if it's according to his what? Will. And things that are moral also as well. Okay. So there's the other dimension we must not miss also as well. We pray for the leader's desire matches that of what? God's desire. Okay. We pray for that. Whenever we have deacons meeting, whenever Pastor Ling asks me, hey, could you pray uh, for that? I take that actually as a very serious responsibility. I think like, whoa, okay, praying, may God's will be what? May God, may we make sure that we prune away our selfish desire and what? Have the desire of God, okay? Now, it might be to others, it's just, oh, it's just another prayer we have to pray, formulate. But to me, with every one of those words, it is very serious, Okay. The people tells the king that they want God to grant their desire. But here we see that it's very clear that we must also go by God's desire. Let's also go on to the next point in verses 4, second half. It says, pray for the leaders. Plan and strategy matches that of God's plan. Now sometimes we need to realize it is not enough to say, oh, I have a good goal. Right? But the means we go there is also just equally as important. Right? Let me give it an example, maybe hitting more at home rather than being less abstract. Is it godly to desire to marry? Is that a good goal? Yes. But could there be wrong ways to achieve that goal? Yeah, okay. Uh, There could be wrong way uh, of achieving that goal. We see that sometimes in the Old Testament, does it not? Some people want to be married so much, then what do they do? Then they, as we see later on, you know, like just even people taking advantage of a woman. Okay, forcing them to come with her. But that is not biblical. In fact, the Old Testament laws also allow where the father would say no in some of those cases, okay, in the issue of prudence. But then they still have to pay that fine. As if they're, think about paying almost a marriage dowry worth of fine, okay? Whereas today we don't even criminalize all that, okay? But we see here, we see here, we must also, as that is an example of how someone could desire something good, but go about it through the wrong way. And we also see here, we should pray even more so for our leaders in that way. By the way, why do we focus on this leaders thing? 
is also as well what? If the leaders fail and mess up, does that impact us in whatever yes. spirit it is? Yeah. So we, how much more? It's not just, okay, we just pray and God just tells us to, but it's also for, our, for the sake of our what? Well-being, okay? For the sake of our well-being. We also should desire to celebrate when God works through our leaders. Look at verses 5. The first uh, two lines says, We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up banner. Okay? For us, our ultimate king is Jesus Christ. Actually, the difference between Psalm and our time in the New Testament and beyond is that the victory for the king has already been achieved for the king of kings and lord of lords. Put your pinky or thumb here and turn with me to Revelation 5.5. Okay? I'm sharing this because this is going to shape the way we pray a little bit in light of uh, uh, redemptive history. Uh, whereas here, they're celebrating, hoping, a, we're, they're looking forward to a victory. But if Jesus Christ is our King of Kings, we're not just praying for a victory, ultimate victory. We know there is, and Jesus Christ has already, in some sense, achieved the victory. Okay, Revelation 5.5 5 says this, And one of the leaders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the line that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. Notice the word overcome is mentioned. In the context is referring to what? To, to victory uh, occurring also as well. Okay? Uh, so in light of this, we see in verses 5, um, David here being, um, being mentioned. Um, this a root of David, I'm sorry, which is Jesus Christ himself, right? That the Messiah, the lion from the tribe of Judah, Going back to Genesis 49 prophecy. He has already overcome. There's victory. So we don't pray for victory. We, uh, in the big scheme of things, we pray from a position of victory. Okay, There's a difference with that. Now, there might be localized victory, localized battle. And we should celebrate too. But nevertheless, going back to the application of verse 5, we should also celebrate. It's not just, okay, I'm just going to do my duty with a sober face. I have to pray for them. Okay. And that's it, okay? But there should also be a desire to celebrate also as well when God does things, okay? Um, their victory is also what? Our victory, okay? We pray uh, in that way. We also pray for the Lord, uh, for the leaders' prayers to be answered. In verses 5, do you see the last line? It says, May the Lord fulfill all your petitions, okay? May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. In verses 5. So we pray for their prayers to be answered. And of course, there's also presuppose a, a prayer of a righteous man without the prayer answered. So never forget that when we support leaders, uh, my outline, I told you, one of the commentaries I read says submit to leaders. I actually think the better thing is support, just to be nuanced, okay? Because there is that more dimension. Let me say this again. Uh, this message is not self-serving to say, hey, guys, support me or else, right? God says, oh, don't touch anoint the Lord. I'm not the Lord's anointed, okay? I am not. Okay, um, at the same time, we see here, um, looking at this, we support, and that includes praying for their more dimension of their life. So this application, so this is now the application. And these are questions you ask yourself. With your heart honest to God, ask yourself this question. Although we don't have kings today, do we support the leaders in our life? Do we support the leaders in our life? At work, Right? in the church, in the family, of our parents, okay? Uh, and even in marriage, and even in the church, 
I think I've told you guys this many times. I've said this all the time. I felt the church has prepared me for marriage more than anything else. Okay? More than anything else in loving people that are very difficult, being persevering, all of that, and realizing, wow, you know what? Um, it's not easy, but man, I want to be more gentle with other people. Okay? With their own battles. And that makes me want to be gentle with my own wife. In the sight of God, honestly to the Lord, in the last nine years of marriage, I've not yelled at my wife. Which may be not a big accomplishment for others, but it is for me. Because why? I'm a person that comes from a background that we are very argumentative. My sisters are laughing. You know, confession. We are very argumentative. We speak very loud. We argue. We fight. Right? I think I've argued with every one of you guys in the church before, at one point or another. Okay? Um, in the Marines is a culture where, what? Leadership means how loud you could, what? Yell. Okay? Where you could just not be, you know, I remember one of my Marine friends, he got a nice management job at Coca-Cola. Then he got fired. <laughs> he got fired after one month because the reason why is uh, there was a lazy worker and he told hey, go back to work. And the guy says, I'm not going to. I'm going to stay in the lunchroom. And he just flipped that guy's table and says, you're going back to work. And then, you know, all the boss saw him and he thought, oh, yeah, I'm probably, these guys will probably support me. And then he just got fired. And he came to us and said, you know what? Remember, guys, uh, this doesn't work in, in the real world, okay? Just remember that, okay? And I was like, yeah, uh, Soren Sanchez, uh, you, uh, we should all know that. I said, like, yeah, you're blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, okay, Soren Sanchez, okay? Oh, yeah, you're right, I, I'm learning from you, you know, in my mind, okay? Uh, I shouldn't have said that, okay? Uh, so, I shouldn't say names. But there's a lot of Sanchez in the Marine Corps. But go back on with this is to say what? We need to realize, okay? Um, but do we support them? Do we pray for them, Okay? You pray for them in details we see here. Not just that everything will go well, but also for their growth. This lesson is not, again, teaching blind obedience to leader, but you should pray for them to be right with God. But also, do we celebrate what God is doing through them? Okay? What God is doing through our ministry. I'm thankful for Pastor Ling, and I do pray for him. You know? I pray for him to live a very long life. Uh, okay? Because the reality is this, when I go hang out, and I remember one time deacons meeting, Pastor Ling just said, uh, you know, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy knows what it's like in other churches. We never talked about this. He's like, you know, he goes around, I'm pretty sure he supports me because he's seen how other Chinese pastors are. And I was like, wow, I guess he knows what I'm thinking, even though we never said this, okay? Because when we meet sometimes with uh, pastors meeting, I'm just be honest. Every pastor stayed two, three years and moved on. Even one older Chinese pastor once told me, you know, you should move on. Why stay that long? You, at least, you do less sermon preparation the next church you go. I was like, wow. Are we hirelings or what? Okay? Are we hirelings or what? Uh, that's not ought to be. Okay? So I support him and I pray for him because he's a man that stands for God's truth. Okay? He stands. So when I meet them, others, uh, it's like a sword. It's like people say, oh, he's that guy that stands for inerrancy, that, like, you know, sends his crazy uh, letters to all the churches. Or the other side, it's like, oh. Yeah, he's a man that stands for God's conviction. I stayed in his home when I was a young seminary student with no place to live. I said, like, oh, wow, okay. So here we see, we support that. Let's go to point number two. We must also trust in God. Our biggest thing is we must trust in God. I don't want to look at all this and say we trust in leaders. Ultimately, we need to trust in God first. Because people will fail you. People will fail you. I will fail you. Verses 6 to 9, we need to trust in God. It is now the king's turn to speak. Notice the change of pronoun. Whereas everything earlier is addressing a you, 
and that is not a human person, that is not God, but in a human person. Now you see the person being addressed as speaking. Notice the change of pronoun. It says, I know, right? And there's a sense he's the king, uh, as we see, because he's talking about military matters, okay? You see in verses 6, the king's confidence in God's, uh, God for victory. He says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Notice here that it says the Lord is, uh, when it says, now I know the Lord is a prophetic proclamation, a singular voice here, and it's actually in the past tense. You might say, wait, he's going to go to war. Why is he praying uh, all these things in the passage? I think it's this. He's expressing his confidence in, in God, that God is the source of victory. When he says past tense, uh, he will answer. This is the opposite. This is answering verses 1 when the, when the people suggest, hey, maybe the Lord will answer. Hopefully, there's a wish for desire. And the king responds with confidence, the Lord will answer. And he trusts in God because of God's saving strength in his right hand. As you see the end of verse 6. Verse 7 also shows we must be aware that some trust in other things besides God. Okay, And sometimes people even trust leaders of churches before God. Okay, And you will be soon disappointed in anything else you trust above God. Verse 7. Be aware that some trust, things in, uh, trust in other things besides God. The king now is speaking and he's aware of of his big responsibility. He's aware that some put their wrong trust in another place. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Josh, could you read that so I could catch my breath? Uh, are we in uh, Psalms? Yeah, Psalms 20, verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the Lord our God. We bow down to follow. Okay. Yeah, so here it mentioned chariots, it mentioned horses. What are all these? These are weapons of? War, okay? Chariots were, what? Things that were, I remember my daughter this week was like, they were like playing with their stuffed animals and like, you know, all these things. They had like a horse thing and they were connecting and they're asking, what is, what is it? And my first answer is a chariot. And they're like, no, it's a, what do you call that? A covered wagon, right? I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess this is the way we see things, okay? What are chariots? Chariots are what? Things that are attached to horses. And usually their primary use is with wheels, right? is for archers in that world. It's for archers to shoot, okay? In terms of the infantry world, there's two distinctions between two kinds of infantry, heavy infantry and light infantry. Uh, it's a little different than today, but in the past, light infantry are the guys that harass the main troops, right? You th- see all those movies where guys line up with their swords going, those are considered heavy infantry. They're going to meet close quarter and be chomping away, you know? Uh, and then the light infantry are the guys with what? arrows and slingshot they're going to go and harass them okay so chariots were often used as light infantry platforms and they were really like the state of the cutting edge of war technology in their day horses and what chariots okay if i could give an analogy of today it's almost like fighting vehicles and tanks okay combat fighting vehicles and tanks and yet the king says some of these people trust in them okay instead of god and by the way the egyptians themselves deify the chariots. They actually worship. They actually have songs. Now, now, they're not just praising like, oh, cool military hardware. They're actually really offering praises because they think it is what? There's a God behind it. Just like they have gods for everything. Frogs, all the other things. They would worship this. And the king instead says, uh, speaking now of him and his people, he says, we will trust in the name of our Lord, our God. 
We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. So two different possibilities before us. Will you trust in God or will you trust in others? Will you trust in technology, your money, your wealth, or other people, or even your leaders? Or will you ultimately trust in God? And in verses 8, there's the evaluation. They have bowed down and fallen. But we have risen and stood what? Upright. Okay? We have risen and stood upright. Okay? We could think of examples of Judges 4 to 5. Okay? Judges 4 and 5. Um, where, if you remember earlier, there's people that went against Israel. Israel did not have chariots for most of their history. Later on, they will. But in Judges 4 to 5, yet God's people is victorious. Same thing also as well in Judges 11. Actually, turn with me to Judges 11, just to look at this. Judges 11, this is a second example of when God's people goes against chariots. Militarily, you would say, oh, the disadvantage would be who? Would be Israel. Because they just only trust in God and it's just spiritual language. But we see what happened in Judges 11, verses 6 to 9. It says, And he said to, they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief, that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Do you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back to fight against your son of Ammon, and the Lord gives them to me, will I become your head? Right? He's bringing this up. They're going to go to war. Okay? And the victory is given to who? Uh, to Jephthah. Okay? Uh, to Jephthah uh, with this. Okay? So they would go... Uh, go and so we see for the second time where judges were um, militarily victorious. Okay? Uh, I think I read the wrong... Did I say judges? Yeah. Okay. Joshua 11. I'm sorry. Let's turn with me to Joshua. Uh, Joshua chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow, at this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly by the waters of the Merom and attacked them. The Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, so they defeated them and pursued them as far as Great Sidon and the Valley of Mishnah and all this place, okay? And there was no survivors left. Okay? And Joshua did, verse 9, to them as the Lord has told them. He answered on their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Okay? So here we see that in terms of the kings, uh, in terms of even these kings, even these city-states coming with their horse and chariots, yet who was victorious? God, okay? Um, we didn't turn there, but I, I think in, when you look at Judges 4-5, to five, uh, it's two chapters, I actually think that chariot army was destroyed by flood again, by water. It's actually an echoing of... Uh, you don't see that in Judges 4 until you read Judges 5 with a song. That the details, there's talk about water. And I think it's actually God destroying just like Pharaoh's army one more time with what? Water, okay? By the way, isn't it so ironic? I've been reading a book on irony. Last week I talked about irony and then all of a sudden I saw uh, Crossway, the publisher, has a book on the literary device of irony in the Bible. Isn't it so ironic that Pharaoh in the beginning, one of the Pharaohs, Want to kill all the firstborn of what? Yes. The Hebrews. And then when they didn't, he said, you know what? Get all the boys and throw them, drown them in the Nile River. Then finally, in the end, God brings a poetic justice, right? Mm. 
Pharaoh brings his army, chases the uh, Hebrew people, even though he says he'll let them go many times. And what happened? The whole army drowned. After first the firstborn being killed, and then other with that, okay? So we must never forget, God is a God that works. And because of that, we trust in Him. As verse 9, we go back, turn with me to verse 9. Verses 9. Verses 9. Save, O Lord, may the king answer us in the day we call. Okay? Verses 9. The king, he refers to God himself, who is the one being called upon. And God will what? Will answer. As application, can you identify the things that people trust instead of God? Can you identify some of those things? But more importantly, are there things in your own life that you would trust instead of God? Sometimes we trust in our own might and strength and wisdom. But in the end of the day, I think one of life's continuous lessons is we always have a short-sighted perspective. We always have blind spot. And we must, in the end, trust in God more than anything else. And yet, why should we trust in God is also because, as we see in verses 9, when it says, May the king answer us in the day we call. I think this king is not talking about the human king. But remember verse 1, he's asking the one who calls, it must be the Lord. May the Lord answer. And here it's referring to God as king. And we must go to God as our ultimate king. There's a lot of kings that are, what, petty tyrants or tyrants. There's some few kings that love their people. And there's even fewer kings that would do what is right and be willing to sacrifice for his people. But there's only one king of king and lord of lord who came on earth to live a perfect life and to be killed by his very own subjects, his very own creatures, so that he would show his love to die and save us from our sins. It is in that light that we will be taking communion. So let's um, 